You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. Healthcare design is about more than orderly rooms and pretty curtains. How can changing the way patients perceive and interact with their surroundings encourage healing? And how is the field of healthcare design evolving to meet the diverse needs of patients while also creating an efficient working environment for caregivers? Joining us to discuss the essential elements of healthcare design for an aging population is Mr. John Waugh, design and planning principal for the firm Ellerby Beckett in Minneapolis, Minnesota. John, welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're going to talk about design philosophy for creating healthcare spaces with particular attention to the elderly in general, and more specifically, if you can give us any advice with regards to environments of long-term care. We know that LRB Beckett's been involved with very big projects, so let's get started with a design philosophy for creating healthcare spaces. Actually, one of the biggest issues is really providing easy access. That includes everything from convenience to wayfinding to, you know, parking and drop-offs, linkages between buildings and things. Access can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but for any healthcare institution, and especially for elderly people, you have to be able to easily access the institution. In other words, be able to get in easily, find your way easily, not get lost. The environment is stressful enough without adding to it, so we try to do everything we can to make the experience easy to transit. You design on a very large scale, but the same uh, philosophy applies for our facilities and for our group homes and the rest. We've got elderly family members coming to check on people. They need good wayfinding clues to get into the buildings, and then our elderly patients certainly need good wayfinding clues just to get around their rooms into the dining area. Right. When you have linkages or a passageway, whether it's a sky bridge or a tunnel between facilities, we always try to provide rest stops, in other words, places to sit. So not only elderly, but infirm people can stop and rest along the way. We always try to provide a width of the conveyance of at least 12 feet wide. You'll notice on a regular sidewalk that if it's narrower than about nine feet, two people walking together have trouble passing two other people going the other direction without having to step off of the sidewalk. And so we try to make any kind of tunnel or horizontal hallway 12 feet wide, at least when it's leading into the major spaces of a building. Are there other design changes, design opportunities like color or lighting that help provide the way? Very much so. Actually, uh, again, lighting where you can light along the walls. In fact, lighting both sides, having it bright enough so that it's inviting. One of the things that I know you probably know from some of the tunnels that we've done, what we call subways underground at Mayo, where we have colored panels that are almost like a rainbow along the walls, which help break down the length of the space, make it much more inviting to go in there. Patterns on the carpet really help. And in fact, we use color many times to help signify a type of space where you're going. In fact, uh, if one whole floor has kind of a color code and people return frequently to that space, 
if there's a different color code on a different floor, it's a little intrinsic signal that maybe you're on the wrong floor if you don't recognize it. So yes, color can be used a lot. Also, we use a lot of artwork in, in our facilities. Artwork tends to soften the space, make it more inviting. And even if the art isn't universally liked by everybody, having a variety of different types of artwork helps warm up the space. John, we get a lot of questions about lighting. Can you make a comment about the type of lighting we should be using with an elderly population? Well, I am not an electrical engineer, but I do know that lighting sources, just if they're only from above, can actually not be as quite as friendly looking as lighting that's at table or desk level. The color of light is a big impact. There's many types of bulbs these days, and each of them have a different color spectrum. The warmer tones tend to be much nicer, and I know as a physician you may have desires as to the light that most replicates daylight to have in exam rooms, but in waiting areas, I think the the warm tone lighting and the lighting that's at a scale with people is much more friendly. And then we try to introduce daylight as much as we can. One of the aspects of the older clinic building, especially at Mayo, is that the patient waiting areas are inside the building and don't have daylight. And one of the things we endeavor to do in our newer buildings, and I think most everybody does it, is to try to bring in daylight. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss the essential elements of healthcare design for an aging population is Mr. John Waugh, design and planning principal for the firm Ellerby Beckett in Minneapolis, Minnesota. John, you build buildings all over the world. What helps you with an evidence base to move into the future? It's interesting that evidence base has become a kind of the byword today of what good design is. And I think that I know physicians for centuries have been using past evidence to base decisions on what diagnoses first and then treatments work well and how to carry those into the future. And in our practice, we have been using evidence through revisiting projects to see what works well, what doesn't work well, what heals patients more rapidly, what doesn't as we make our decisions about what we do. Evidence has always played a large part, and now with using uh, stringent research priorities, have really kind of taken this whole idea of taking the evidence of what has really worked in terms of healing environments for patients and carrying those forward into future projects. It's a strong element in what we do. In fact, uh, most architects involved in healthcare design today do utilize evidence-based design. In preparation for today's interview with you, I took a look at uh, your website And for our audience, for this particular program, we're adding a number of resources to our website on ReachMD for further information. But I looked at the patient room of the future, and it discussed a variety of specific elements of design. You've mocked up a lot of different things. You look at the different components. You want to talk about the various elements that go into some of that thinking? Yes, and in fact, starting with the overall room configuration itself, The idea of having a room that will allow a patient to stay 
in that room, no matter the acuity. So in other words, a room could handle a patient who is extremely sick and has essentially as an ICU patient intensive care. If that patient doesn't have to be moved, I mean, it's well known now that many of the errors that occur in terms of caregivers, one of the things is to have a room that has the capability anyway of being acuity adaptable. That room being a configuration that will allow the maximum amount of space for the caregiver as well as a maximum amount of space for a patient's family who end up being kind of secondary caregivers. The idea of having that space where a patient's family member can stay overnight in that room on a fold-out couch or something like that. Also having a room that will allow the movement of a patient into the bathroom either with a lift There's many larger patients now, bariatric patients, and so the idea of having the lift that will not only make it easier to move a patient into a bathroom or into a seated position in a chair in a room, but also allow the caregiver not to injure themselves moving a patient around. So the configuration of the bathroom and location of the bathroom relative to the bed is extremely important. Some of the things that we're looking at also in terms of the patient room was the types of doors, the idea that the doors not only into the room but into the bathroom would be larger than normal, or at least what we do today, again, allowing ease of movement for patients. The idea of having a patient be able to monitor and change the temperature slightly in the room, various lighting options, various internet and TV options from right from the bed head. Also, just from the daylight and view from the patient's bed, the idea of being able to uh, see out many times at older hospitals, the window sills are three feet above the floor or higher, and essentially a patient lying in a bed can only see sky. And so we endeavor to lower the windowsill as much as possible, perhaps down to 16 inches or 2 feet, so that a patient can actually see green trees, other things other than just sky. Every element of the room is to really try to enhance the patient's experience, help them get well quicker, help them do it in a safer fashion, help caregivers essentially be able to care for the patient and not injure themselves while they're doing it. Placement of sinks as you pass into the room or hand washing elements as you pass into the room as a reminder to caregivers. I mean, it's there. You do it when you're going and coming. There's a number of elements that we try to do in patient rooms. And when you add them all together, and there's many hospitals that are renewing their rooms, actually one other factor, which I'm sure you've talked about before, is the fact that we are providing private patient rooms, which essentially means that you're not mixing in a double room disease types or having beds open because the only patient uh, left to be roomed is a different sex than the one that's in that room. And so single bedroom really alleviates a lot of problems in a hospital. Well, at first blush, we always think of architecture as the buildings, but when you get right down to it, and after this interview, we think about the people that are occupying that space and how well they utilize that space. This was not about Mayo, but and we know you do a lot of work at Mayo, but uh, lots and lots of people have sent me the video that occurred in the Gonda building here on the Rochester campus where we've had two older people playing the piano. 
that Gonda space is particularly beautiful and well done. Was there ever any uh, thought when you were building that space that it would occupy uh, so much YouTube time with a video of two older people <laughs> playing a piano? No, you don't really think about that kind of element, although we did know that that space would be essentially the, it's the intersection of about five different connections from other buildings, hotels, retail space, other Mayo buildings, the hospital, and the parking facility. They all converge on that space. And so we knew that space would be a special place in terms of movement through the facility as well as a meeting place. We knew it would be significant just in terms of a gathering place. And we knew even from the beginning when the building was dedicated, that's where the concerts were. And quite honestly, the acoustical quality of the space, it wasn't designed for that acoustical quality. It was one of those wonderful surprises, I think, that when we heard music in that space, it was just a, a wow. This is fabulous. It's kind of on top of the rest of the attributes of that space. Because as you know, it looks out on a garden. It brings a daylight into that area. It's actually below ground, and yet you don't really feel that at all. And so adding a place for patients to interact using the piano or any kind of musical instrument uh, is a bonus. And so it's one of those wonderful surprises that you get. Any other final comments for our listeners across the country? I think that one of the really most important things about healthcare environments not only is healing but is to create a timeless environment. We are spending so much money on our healthcare environment these days that we need to and we're endeavoring to try to provide buildings that will be flexible enough to last a long time and so we can you know, utilize them in many manners in the years to come. So that essentially is talking about material continuity and planning so well that it can expand nicely and last a long time. Yeah, I'll ask the listeners to go to some of the other information that's out there, too. Um, you've used a lot of renewable resources, renewable materials, and the sites are much more green than they've ever been before. That's absolutely true. Well, I'd like to thank my guest uh, from LRB Beckett, Mr. John Waugh. John, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.